Yesterday, a white supremacist incel shot and killed several innocent people working at three different Asian massage parlors in the Atlanta area. He was gently taken into custody by police. Anti-Asian violence has spiked since the coronavirus hit Western countries, particularly here in the U.S. TBH, I was not at all surprised by what happened, yet it saddened me greatly. I will post more about white male and female violence over the next few days, and how cops handle them with kid gloves compared with black suspects who aren't even armed or violent. In the previous post, I wrote about how racism is perpetuated by people as it's taught to each new generation that is born. Over the four long terrible years that the former POS and its redneck coterie stunk up the White House, racist rhetoric from white politicians, celebrities, and regular citizens has been aired, usually from mobile phones, onto platforms like YouTube and Facebook for millions to see. While some of these ignoramuses later, or instantly, apologized for their insensitive comments, many of them proudly stated that they had a right to use racial slurs and sling hatred towards others who don't look or act or smell like them. Racism starts with the biases that we all are born with, as mentioned in the previous post. Almost all cognitive biases, both conscious and unconscious, influence our perception of race and can be linked to the perpetuation of racism, says Angela Bell, a psychology professor at Lafayette College. For example, the in-group bias, which is where we favor people who look like us and see out groups as having less favorable attributes, is often linked with discriminatory behavior. And research shows that an us-versus-them mentality increases the likelihood of outgroup prejudices to develop. Part of our human tendency is to separate things into groups, in-group and outgroup explained Evelyn Carter, a social psychologist and the director of training in people development at Paradigm. Having grown up in a lower-income neighborhood, I know all about us versus them mentality. The kids whose parents, though typically, it was one parent, raised them using state aid were looked down upon by the others, whose parents, sometimes one parent, worked. It was like those of us who lived in houses looking down on the project kids. I was told that the kids in the projects were bad, and warned to avoid them. I attended an intermediate, five to six grades, school that was located a few blocks from one of the more notorious projects in my hometown, now torn down with nicer income-based apartments where the old projects used to stand. The kids in the projects nearby used to fight on their way to school at times, and on the way home. They were very physical, loudmouthed, intimidating. These were the kids who bullied me from grade five through high school. I had a low opinion of such people then and still do to this day. The us versus them mentality is triggered by perceived threat, symbolic or realistic, and that can lead to prejudice decisions. Research has found that the in-group bias can lead to employment discrimination, as well as racial bias in police investigations and judicial decisions, among many other things. When we have a historical context that some groups are less than and people are coming and taking things from you that's implying realistic threat. When you're told people are infringing upon your way of life, your values, that's amplifying symbolic threat, said Carter. This human tendency to go us versus them, the threat that exists and also the historical underpinnings of the messages we've told ourselves and perpetuated about who is of value and who is not, all combine into the experience that we see that's still perpetuated and the experience that folks have of racism. I've mentioned before that my grandparents were no lovers of white folks, excluding my late father's adoptive mother, who was actually his aunt. His adoptive father was born and grew up in Georgia, and went on to serve in a segregated unit of the army during World War II. He hated white people. My maternal grandparents didn't much like whites either, 
Though there were some they tolerated, my grandmother more than my grandfather who was simply not a people person, probably who I get my solitary nature from. These people grew up during Jim Crow, and some even knew of people who had been lynched or otherwise ill-treated by whites. An angry group of rednecks scared my maternal grandparents and their neighbors out of a job in one shithole town here in my home state, a story my grandmother told more than once that scared the bejesus out of my brother and me when we were younger. When I got older, it only made me sad and rather pissed off. Studies have shown that people who believe strongly in a just world are more discriminatory. For example, one study published in 2018 in the Journal of Experimental Psychology found that they have a greater tolerance for police violence and support lowering the age of criminal responsibility for crimes committed by black teenagers. But probably the most famous bias that's been linked to the perpetuation of racism is implicit bias, also called unconscious bias. While implicit bias has recently been the source of academic controversy due to its poor reliability and validity scores, it's long been linked to the continued discrimination of racial minorities. Implicit bias describes what's happening when, despite our best intentions and without our conscious knowledge, racial stereotypes and assumptions can affect our actions. The problem is that even if you're aware of all the different biases and how they affect us, Research shows that overcoming biases is an uphill battle that frequently results in people going back to their old ways after 24 hours. Intervention is great but we go right back into those same environments that reinforce biases, explained Carter. And on top of that, we're terrible at estimating our own levels of bias. Or as Bell says, we don't know what we don't know. For example, a study published in 2019 found that people overestimated their levels of racial and gender-based egalitarianism. The study also showed that the effect was strongest among the most prejudiced and diversity training did nothing to change it. Bell and her colleagues conducted a series of experiments where people were given a list of racist behaviors that were purportedly done by a fellow student but were actually that person's own behavior. First, we surveyed participants on things like whether they've ever laughed at a racist joke or used the N-word, Bell explained. Months later, the participants were invited back to evaluate what they were told was a randomly selected survey but it was actually their own. Study participants consistently evaluated themselves as less racist than this other person, even though the racist behaviors were their own. Stephen Roberts and co-author Michael Rizzo identified seven factors that helped to promote American racism, categories, factions, power, segregation, hierarchies, pacifism, and the media. They stated that pacifism is the most problematic of the factors because it is apathy towards these systems of racial advantage and the denial that these systems exist, an issue I've discovered lies with all white people I have had the misfortune of speaking about racism with. There are all these factors in place that allow racial hierarchies and inequalities to persist, and we just don't do anything about it and I think that's the biggest problem. If people decide to no longer be passively racist, that's the momentum we need to push us all in the right direction. Thinking you're not racist is not enough. Stephen Roberts So according to Roberts, awareness of how the system works is the first step in moving towards a more just society. When people look at a problem from a systems-level perspective, people are more motivated to actually want to fix the problem, he said, explaining that the system gives us more room to intervene rather than just punishing individuals. Roberts also stressed the need for putting proactive anti-racist people in positions of power so they can help structure organizations. But there's a big difference between reducing racism and promoting anti-racist beliefs, he added. There's no silver bullet on how to solve racism, however, we already know how people become racist, but we don't know how people become anti-racist.
So maybe we should stop focusing on why do people do these horrible things and focus our efforts on the reverse, he said. I think that's actually more productive in the long run. Forbes, Misha Gajewski, you are more racist than you think.